Father, we just want to worship you this morning. We thank you, Father, that we can sing that song because of those, that is the testimony of many that have gone before. And the faithfulness of God has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so today, Lord, as we gather, we gather on the foundation of many, many who have gone before. We give you praise. We give you praise. And Spirit of the living God, as we come once again to look into your word, we know that you alone can make your word come alive. And so would you come in these moments? You know what we need. Would you touch us in the deepest places? We welcome you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So good to be with you again on the beginning of this new year. I think God knows that we need regular new opportunities to launch into things, and so we're in the beginning of 2024. And right on the eve of 2024, I happened to be listening to a podcast by um, a group of people that come out of Australia called Rebuilders. The name of the podcast was Six Megatrends That Will Shape 2024. And one of the things that they are saying is that we were coming, we are coming out of an age of anxiety and we're actually moving into an age of anger. And part of the reason of this is as we've gone through COVID and as different things have been kind of unfolding in our world and in our nation, there's been this growing sense of the things that we have been promised are most likely not going to be delivered. And so all of a sudden in our culture, there's an uneasiness that starts out with anxiety about our health system, about our government, about our jobs, about our food supplies. And so the suggestion on this podcast was one of the things that we're going to see happen is that anxiety is going to boil up into anger and we're going to see protest. Brothers and sisters, the world is weary and they're looking for solid ground. When things start to shake around, people are looking for solid ground. And I believe with all my heart, God's desire is that the church would be that solid ground that people would run to. But if we're really honest, most of us ourselves have a little bit of weariness. We have a little bit of anxiety. We might even have some anger of our own where we're kind of wondering, is God going to be true to what he's promised? Is he going to be faithful? One of the things they mentioned on this podcast, which was recorded back in December, was reference to these Houthi rebels that were going to be out from Yemen and were taking out ships. And that there was going to be shortages that were going to start to come because it was going to take longer and things are going to be more expensive. And I don't know what it's like for you, but when anxiety in the day starts to well up for me, it kind of creeps into the night. And so this one night, I don't think I was dreaming, but I was just kind of, um, you know, I don't, I don't really know what it was, but I was having this conversation in my head. You can assess my psychological state later. But I was kind of having this conversation in my head, and the question in my mind was, what should I be stocking up for in these days? And immediately, it wasn't an audible voice, but this strong sense of you need to be stocking up on faith on faith. 
I knew it was a God thought. I knew God was interrupting my thoughts with something very profound. You see, unfortunately, many of us, we are kind of half trusting in the world and half trusting in the Lord. And the only time that often we find out where our faith is actually placed is when things start to shake around us. But I want to suggest to you this morning that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is the one person who can do what he says. He is faithful just like we have sung about. He is able to do more than what we expect, the scripture says. And so how do we grow in this? You know, you've been in the middle of a series of Emmanuel in the Old Testament. And one of the best characters that can teach us about faith is the story of Abraham. And the amazing thing about Abraham, he didn't have the scriptures like we have. He didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He just had God showing up every once in a while in his life. And his life was a long one. He lived 175 years. He actually made it into the hall of faith, which many people have referenced Hebrews chapter 11, because it lists some of the key people in the scriptures who we can look to who have lived by faith. The truth be told, there's 235 references in the Bible on Abraham. 159 of them in the Old Testament and 76 in the New Testament. And I didn't check all of them, Pastor Daniel. I checked a bunch, but I I didn't check all of them. But one of the key hermeneutical principles in scripture, hermeneutics is the study of interpretation. How do we make sure that we're actually looking in the scriptures and understanding them rightly? And one of the hermeneutical principles is that the Bible interprets itself. And so when we look to the story of Abraham, we find all sorts of stuff in the Old Testament, but then we find a bunch of stuff in the New Testament that actually fills in some of the blanks in the story of Abraham. And so this morning, we're going to bounce back a little bit between a bunch of scriptures to get a fresh glimpse at his life. We're going to start by defining what does it actually mean to have faith, and then we're going to look at Abraham's life, and then we're going to have some take-home lessons, what are some key things that we can learn from him? And so the very first thing, what is faith? As was read for us, confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith is not sight. There are some people that have a gift of faith and they they see in the spirit what's going to happen ahead or they have this trust but in the natural they don't see. Any of you Raiders of the Lost Ark fans here, Harrison Ford, one of the first movies, he has to cross this big chasm and there's no bridge there. And then always in those movies, there's some clues or secret messages and he somehow gets the secret message that he has to step into the chasm and only when he steps into the chasm does the bridge appear. Henrietta Mears gives another amazing illustration of faith where she says it's a bit like the electronic door. You can stand way back here and say, open, open. It doesn't open until you step in front of it. And that's another picture of faith. But you know, when we talk about, when you, know, you hear a word like stock up on faith, 
Well, the first thing that often happens within us is we think, well, how am I going to muster up more, maybe more positive thinking? Maybe I need to memorize more scriptures. And we kind of think of all these things that we need to do. But the scripture actually says a mustard seed of faith is all you need. Tiny little mustard seed. And I love what Charles Price said about faith. He says, you know, let's say you're going to go skating and you've got all the confidence in the world that the ice is going to hold you, but if the ice is only an inch thick, it doesn't matter how much confidence you have. But you can be kind of uncertain and a little unsure, but you're going to take a step anyways, and if that ice is two feet thick, you have nothing to worry about. And see, so when we talk about stocking up on faith, what we are talking about is enlarging God's footprint in our life. We're talking about enlarging our view and our understanding and our relational cred with God. That's why worship is so key. And so we look at Abraham. The verse goes on in Hebrews chapter 1 or chapter 11 verse 1 talks about the definition and then right away verse 6 it says without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When I read this I think wow I, I better get this if I want to be a believer who pleases God I better get this. And there's three things in this verse that he explains that we need to know about God to have faith in him that actually pleases him. Number one, that he exists, that he's real. The second thing is that he's actually for us and not against us. And the third thing is that he delivers, that he rewards those who seek him. The truth is we can memorize this verse and we should be memorizing the scriptures but there's a big thing between having this knowledge here and believing it in my heart. And a lot of that believing in my heart comes out of this relational walk with God. And that's why we want to look at Abraham's life. For Abraham, I'm going to start out, don't, don't worry, you know, his life's 175 years long and we're going to do a birth to death overview. But, but don't worry, we... We'll be done in time, I promise. So you studied Noah last week, and when they came out of the ark, shortly after that, there was Shem, and they started having kids, and the average age that people were having children was age 30. And that just kept on going generation after generation until it got to Abraham's father. Abraham's father, Terah, doesn't have a son until he's 70. We don't really know if Abraham was the firstborn or not. It's listed there, but we're not exactly sure because of the timing in the scriptures. The home that Abraham grew up in, the scripture says in Joshua chapter 24, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. So it was kind of like a polytheistic home. There was lots of gods. Kind of like Hinduism, where there's many, many gods that you can worship. We have no idea. It's possible that Terah was there. He's having trouble having kids. He might have given an offering or a sacrifice to some other god, do whatever they could to get what they needed to move forward. Somewhere in there, Abraham marries Sarah. He meets the love of his life, and he marries her. 
And then interestingly enough, and I didn't know this till I was studying this, is that in Acts chapter 7 verse 2, Stephen, when he's giving his sermon, he's being martyred and he, the Spirit of God comes upon him and he gives us some more revelation about the story of Abraham. And he actually says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And so my understanding of that is that God came to Abraham sometime long before Genesis chapter 12 where he comes when he's 75 years old. But somewhere earlier in there, God comes to Abraham. And perhaps God comes to Abraham in such a way that Abraham goes to his dad and says, hey, God wants us to move in this direction. We need to move and we need to get moving. And so the scriptures say they get moving and they go so far and then they stop. Well, the next thing we see is Abraham is 75, and he still has no children. God comes to him. We don't know how God comes to him, but it says God comes to him and makes this amazing promise. He says, I want you to pack up your family, leave your father's household, leave your country. I want you to pack up, and I want you to go to the place I will show you. And I'm going to promise to bless you and I'm going to multiply your descendants and I'm going to use you to become a blessing to nations. I don't know what the conversation around the dining room table would have been like that. Can you imagine your spouse coming home and saying, yeah, well, I had this vision, word from God, and like we need to move. Where are we going to move? Well, I don't really know. He didn't tell me that bit. He just said we need to pack up and move. Now, Abraham comes from a nomadic culture, so that might not have been as strange to them as it was to us, but Abraham steps out in faith. He steps out choosing to believe this God, to step out believing that God is going to do what he says he will do. Well, the next context that we have, that there's 10 years before we have reference of God showing up again and speaking to Abraham. And within those 10 years, a lot of stuff is happening. Abraham, there's a famine. He takes his family up to Egypt. He has a gorgeous wife, and he's afraid the Pharaoh's going to take his wife so they concoct a, spirit of a, lot, a story of a lot of deception. And he gets in trouble. God comes and rescues him. Abraham has Lot coming along with him, and Lot kind of gets in some trouble, and he has to go rescue him. And so he's kind of in this place where he's struggling. And God comes to him. And he still, God comes to him again. And he comes to him and he says, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. And I am your great reward. Abraham's kind of like, that's great, God. But you promised me a son and nothing's happening. And God says, it's okay. I know. I'm going to confirm my promise to you with a covenant. I'm going to make a covenant with you, which was like a signed agreement, only it was kind of signed in blood, the blood of a sacrifice. And I want you to trust me, and I want you to step out again. And so Abraham steps out again in faith. There's more time of waiting, and he's kind of had enough. And his wife comes along and says, yeah, like, this isn't working. We need to take things into our own hands. Here's my servant girl. Let's go get a child that way. 
you know what's so interesting? God doesn't come right away when Abraham takes things into his own hands and says, okay, you're out, I'll find someone else. Or even punish him there for it. He still sticks with him, 85 years old, and Abraham's kind of taking things into his own hands. And do you realize it's not 14 years later when God comes to him again? And God comes to him and he doesn't say, okay, you're done, you messed up. He comes and says, I actually have more for you. I want you to follow me. Will you follow me? Will you be blameless and walk with me? And I actually have an upgrade for you in the promise. Can you imagine? God's given you a promise. You haven't seen the answer to the first promise. He's waiting and he says, don't worry about that. I have even more for you. I want to give you an upgrade. And the amazing thing that happens, and this is in Genesis chapter 17, God comes to him and he says, not only do I want to make the covenant that I made before about the land, this time I want to make an everlasting covenant and I'm going to change your name. And he changes his name from Abram to Abraham and from Sarai to Sarah. And commentators and biblical scholars tell us that God took the H out of the Yahweh name and added it into Abraham's name and added it into Sarah's name. And that the H, the hey, what it actually stood for was breath, was breath of God. So God makes this covenant where he he says, I want to be even more connected with you. I want you to take my name. But even more significant than that, God also says, and I'm going to add a name to my list of names, and from here on out, I'm going to be known as the God of Abraham. I'm going to connect your name with mine, and I'm going to connect my name with yours. Wow. And you know, even in all this, God still says to Abraham, I'm still going to bless Ishmael. He's going to become a mighty man. My promise to you was still through Isaac. He gives him this great promise, changes his name, and he says, a year from now, you're going to have a son. And both Abraham and Sarah kind of laugh, and they're like, yeah, God, we're kind of onto your timeline by now. So a year, like, whatever. But sure enough, Abraham turns 100 And he gets an amazing birthday present. He gets a son that he's been waiting for for 25 years. He's still a long way to go before he becomes the father of nations and the father of many, which was the upgrade promise that he was given. But he does get the first promise fulfilled. And so he starts to enjoy Isaac. And then the next thing that we see in the scriptures is Abraham's actually 112 years old. And God comes to him and says, I have a question for you. Do you love me more than my promise? Like, are you just following me because of the stuff I do for you? I need to test you to find out, do you love me more than your son Isaac? And by this time, you know, when you look at this story, you think Abraham must have been crazy. But remember, he's walked with God for many years. 
And as we read in Hebrews, he comes to the place, his faith with God has grown so much that he actually believes, well, God has the power to raise the dead, so if I have to sacrifice my, sin, my son and this is the test of my faith, I will do it because I know God is going to somehow bring him back to me. That's pretty strong faith. And he goes through he goes through the act of doing this, and you know the story. God stops him midstream and says, wow. God is so pleased because he is following this commandment that hasn't even begin, been given yet that I want you to love me more than anything else and to worship me and worship me alone. God confirms his promise once again, this time with an oath. He knows Abraham keeps needing reassurance. And so this time he says, you know, have you ever had someone come up to you and they say, uh, well, you said you're going to do that, but how do I know you're going to do that? You know, we kind of take offense at that. But God says, I know you guys. I know you need more reassurance. So I'm not going to take offense at it. I'm going to promise, but there's nothing more I can promise about than I'm myself. I'm the most credible thing out there. So he says, I will make an oath on my nature. So God has two, says there's two things you can trust in. My word to you and my nature because it's unchangeable. The unshakable nature of God. So then the next place we see about Abraham, Genesis chapter 24, all it says is he's very old. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And his son still hasn't found a wife, so he thought maybe I better help him along a little bit to keep this promise going. Maybe there's a bit that I need to do. So he sends a servant out. Abraham dies at 175, never having met his grandchild. Never having met Isaac's grandchild. Abraham got married to someone else. She had a lot of kids. But he left his whole inheritance to Isaac as an act of faith, believing that God was going to be true to what he had promised. All these people, Hebrews eleven thirteen says, Abraham, one of them, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. There's someone else who died holding on to the promise. And that was our Lord Jesus Christ. He died believing that God was going to raise him from the dead. And interestingly enough, when you look in Galatians, these two stories are woven together. Galatians chapter 3 verse 14 says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You see, at one point when Abraham was struggling and he needed some affirmation, God comes to him and he says, Abraham, stop looking around. I want you to look up. 
You know, when you read in the story, Genesis chapter 14, it says there were 318 men that had been born into Abraham's household. This was his entourage. Can you imagine all the time this guy is waiting for a son, and meanwhile, everybody around him is having child after child after child. And God comes to him and says, stop looking around at what I'm doing with everybody else. I call you to look up. Look up at the stars. Because that is what I'm going to give you. That is what I am going to give you. Brothers and sisters, Abraham died believing the promise. And yet the promise was beyond his lifetime, the fulfillment of it. But he was faithful to the promise. And you and I are the fulfillment of part of Abraham's promise We are the stars, so to speak, part of that descendants that was given to him through Christ, through the person of Christ that was the seed of Abraham. So what do we learn from Abraham's life? What can we apply into our own life about Emmanuel, God with us? Well, first of all, we learn that God is real. How do we learn that God actually is real? Well, it's by stepping into the promise, stepping into the things he said. There might be some of you here that you are not really sure God exists. Maybe you're watching online and you're not really sure. One of the ways that you find out is by taking a step in to what he says. You learn by walking with him. But the other thing we see that learning that God is real, part of the way we see in Abraham's life, it came from the waiting and the wrestling. Abraham comes back at God and says, what? You're not delivering. It's okay to do that. Brothers and sisters, the church needs to be a place where it's okay to wrestle. It's okay to have questions. Many of us, if you've grown up in the body of Christ and you've grown up in a Christian home, one of the challenges is you're given the answers before you ever ask the questions. And so it's kind of like watching a hockey game when you know already who's going to win, who's won. But we need, the church should be a safe place where it's okay to have questions. We need to, doesn't mean we shift our doctrine with every question that comes, but this should be a safe place to wrestle. Abraham's chapter 4, sorry, Romans chapter 4, verses 19 to 21, the description that's given there is Abraham being a man who didn't weaken in his faith by facing the facts, and he didn't waver. When you look at the story, you think, yeah, he kind of looked like he wavered to me, but God is saying, no, the commentary, the end of the story for Abraham was that he was true. God makes room for us in our wrestlings. The second thing we see is God is for us, even when we make mistakes. You know, perhaps some of us here have made some mistakes and we just feel like God left us somewhere on the road. That isn't the God we serve. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He comes back to Abraham. He keeps coming back to him. He reveals himself to him as his, the shield and your very great reward. 
And then we see that he rewards those who seek him. For some reason, the journey seems to involve coming to the end of ourselves. Letting go of those things that we think are so important. Are we willing to live our lives like this with God? Especially when things begin to shake around us. I have a mentor who's wrestling with cancer and a bunch of other things. She said to me recently, God said to me, I have more for you than solutions to your problems. I have more for you than solutions to your problems. What God has for us is himself. Is himself. And his destiny for you and I extends even beyond our lifespan. Isn't that amazing that you serve a God or you have the option to serve a God who would say, I'm going to take your name, the God of Kathy. Doesn't sound quite as good as the God of Abraham, but out there, you can plug your name in. He's willing to identify with you in such a way. Am I living in such a way that people want the God that I say I'm worshiping? So a couple things just as we close. Where are you at in your faith journey with Emmanuel, God with us? Perhaps like Abraham, you, took a, you heard his voice, you kind of took a step and you stalled out. And God wants you to pick up that promise and step back in with him. And today, 2024 is a fresh start for you with him. Or perhaps like Abraham, you're in the midst of that waiting and wrestling period where you're, you're waiting. You're waiting for one of your children to come to the Lord. You've been crying out and you feel like nothing's happening. And God says to you, keep wrestling with me. Keep bringing it to me. Not only that, he says, I have even an upgrade for you. For those of you that are wrestling, especially about your children, one of the things we see in the Bible right through it is some of the people that wrestled the most become the strongest influence on the other side. And maybe you need to shift your prayers into this, okay, God, I'm going to stop asking you for them to come to faith. I'm going to stop asking you for them to maybe get right with you. I'm going to start declaring in Jesus' name, what destiny do you have for this person? I can hardly wait to see what you're going to do through them. We shift our prayers into alignment with God. Or maybe you're in the testing stage. Maybe things have gotten a little too comfortable. You know, is there anything in your life that's more important to you than God? He knows you don't have to go searching. He'll, he'll let you know. And, and he's not, you know, the amazing thing, all he wanted from Abraham was, are you willing to give it to me? Are you willing to give it to me? And sometimes he's asking us for something that doesn't seem like it's a right, like how could he ask for Isaac, his son? Like, seriously? There's so much freedom in surrender. When you're surrendering to someone who's trustworthy and faithful 
and who is for you and not against you. Last but not least, perhaps you're here and your time is running out. Maybe 2024 is going to be your last year. None of us know. Maybe you got some regrets from things that have happened. Maybe some of the things that you feel God has promised you, they haven't come to pass yet. But I want to challenge you this morning. Are you willing to be like Abraham? Are you willing to be someone who will say, I am going to die believing that God is faithful no matter what happens around me? I want to finish. I want to be someone who finishes believing. Because, you know, one of the things Jesus said, he says, when I return, what is Jesus looking for when he returns? He says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find faith on the earth? God Almighty, we come before you. Thank you so much for your patience with us. Thank you, Father, that you are faithful. That all you require from us is a mustard seed. And so, Spirit of the living God, come and stir up faith within us, I pray. It was one of the things that was prayed in the pre-prayer gathering. Lord Jesus, would you stir up our faith? Would you give us a fresh vision of who you are? Lord Jesus, here at UAC, we want to be the solid ground that people run to. We want to be so rooted in you, whether we're a kid in school or a youth person or someone in the seniors' home, we want to be so rooted in you that people come and they say, tell me about your God. So we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you've positioned us for greatness as we move into 2024. You've positioned us for success, but that greatness and success might not look like what the world says it should look like. Because greatness and success is being deeply rooted in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we offer ourselves today. Come, Lord Jesus. Even as we sing and as we worship, Lord, would you stir our hearts. May we make fresh commitments to you in this moment. Commitments that are not just out of the moment or the emotion, but from a very deep place in our heart. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.